0: So this passage is 12 verses long, and it has just 30 instructions. Just 30. So we'll just do a few minutes on each of the 30. (laughs) We will not do that. The first few verses are like rapid fire, right? Do this, do this, don't do that, do this, but not that, do this, do this. And when we hear instructions like that, it's, it's tempting to just kind of flaze over, right, as they just pile up. And even for those of us that don't have ADHD, 30 instructions is a lot of instructions. As a parent, I've learned that it's three. That's the max. You can give three instructions, and you might get two of them. If you want to, give three. And if you give more than three, be ready for the, the slow blink, right? I see some <laughs> parents nodding, and it's just it's not going to happen. One commentator on this scripture recommended that that you break it down into each of the 30 and do this whole text as a as a month-long devotional. So if you want to do that, be be my guest. But today, uh, my task is to preach a relatively short sermon on these texts, and so I'm going to have to summarize and generalize a little bit. In my study Bible, there's a little a little heading which that's not scripture, just FYI, that's just somebody's idea of what this passage is about. And it says marks of the true Christian, which feels a little bit off to me for like a grace-based religion, because it's kind of like, are you really in the club? Have you really done all the things? Are you a true Christian? (laughs) Which, yeah, again, I don't think that's necessarily uh, how I would categorize this. But there is an overall theme. This, this verse, or this, cha- this, uh, this text, rather, is really about how we treat each other. Most of the verses in this passage are about how we treat each other in these concentric circles of our society. How we treat our closest loved ones, our wider community, our enemies. And by the time we get to verse 18, it's everybody, all people. And going back to last week, that first verse of chapter 12, that starts out, therefore, in light of God's mercy. And this text answers the question, in light of God's mercy, how are we to live with one another? How are we to be with one another? And it's a a critical time for us to ask this question because I'm gonna say this really bluntly, but I can back it up. The pandemic made us meaner it made us meaner. We are less kind. We are less agreeable. We are less friendly overall. Maybe not individually. Maybe not, I mean, not us obviously, but I mean, everybody else, I mean, everybody else meaner. Um, and we know this. I mean, we know this because we've been to the grocery store, but we also know this because researchers at Florida State University were already doing this long-term study on personality. And they had these, five different markers of of personality and it was on a spectrum. And one of them was, you know, friendliness and I don't know, grouchiness, I guess, and agreeableness and openness, all these different factors. And they had been studying this group since 2014. So they were looking year over year at how these markers of personality were changing among certain groups. And they found these really significant changes year over year between 2020 and 2021 in 2021 and 2022 right between 2014 and 2020 there were changes but when it came to those pandemic years the changes were exponentially more and they weren't just neutral changes they were like Daddy. they're less friendly they're less open and so it doesn't just seem like people are less kind they really are and it makes sense it makes sense because we've been through some rough times we have been through some rough times maybe not directly because of COVID, but because of those domino effects. And I know as part of the family that experienced loss in the midst of pandemic, that wasn't COVID related, but COVID made it so much worse. So whatever we experienced, just the normal ups and downs of life, the pandemic, even if we were relatively isolated it from you know, the effects, if we stayed healthy, or if we had our finances intact, or we didn't lose our jobs, we still, felt it and it had an impact and so we are at a time where the theme of our text today is particularly relevant we desperately need instruction maybe not 30 instructions but we need instructions we need inspiration on how to be good to each other so we may be coming to this text with a thirst for some practical ways to shift the tide back toward kindness. We might want tips to help us to work toward creating a different outcome if that study were about us. What would we want to see shift from 2023 to 2024? Maybe we want to be more friendly, less grouchy. Yeah, I think my kids probably want that for for me. So we might come to this text and say can you help us paul can you help us we need your help yes yes he can i think it goes without saying that paul's instructions here can definitely help move the needle toward kindness but paul doesn't use the word kindness in this passage the word he uses over and over is the word love and it might be a little hard to see that in in the english translation because um, it's, it's a little bit obscured by how we've translated it. But in verse 10, for example, it says something along the lines of love your loved ones lovingly. It's like love, 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 love. And then in 13, when it says be hospitable, that word hospitality is the word for love. And then the word for stranger smashed together. Stranger love. That's what hospitality is. So how do we respond to God's mercy? Paul says, love, love family, love strangers, love your enemies, love all people. And we might say, sure, great, okay. I mean, aren't kindness and love related? Like, aren't they pretty close to the same thing? If you love someone, you treat them with kindness. At least I I hope we treat each other with kindness if we love each other. Like I hope we would at least be kind to the people that we love. But if we conflate love and kindness, then I think we are missing something central to what Paul is saying here. Because the thing about kindness is that it doesn't usually require a lot of investment. Like letting someone go ahead of you In line at the grocery store, if they have just a couple items and you have a big cart, it's a—it's kind, like it's very kind. People are usually surprised. If I ever do that, they're like, "Really? (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. Really, it cost me what? Two minutes? Um, You know, it's—it's not—it's not not that big of a deal. Smiling, smiling at each other when you walk down the street, saying thank you, saying you're welcome, saying please not interrupting someone when they're talking to you these are all acts of kindness and while they may not come easily to all of us and we could certainly use more of them they are not intrinsically difficult or risky we can also do all of those things or any number of kind and friendly things without any sincerity if we choose If we wanted to we can we can do those things we can be really kind without crossing any real dividing lines without disrupting any hierarchies or or god forbid we get into other people's business you know we we don't have to do that we can just be kind and that's fine kindness is good and that's the nature of kindness is that it can be offered with a bit of distance it can be performed it can even be beneficial, even to the person who's being kind insincerely. There's science that shows doing those kind things actually has positive impacts on people's health. So it can be beneficial without being sincere, without being genuine. An act of kindness with impure motives is still an act of kindness. Love, on the other hand, is not like this. The kind of love that Paul is asking this community to practice is not like this. And we know it's not like this because of how this text begins. It's not a performance. It's not an act. This first verse that we have today, verse nine, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And in other translations it says, love must be genuine. And I'm not sure this is as much of a command as it is an explanation of love. If love is love, it has to be genuine. If it's not genuine, it's something else. It might be kindness, it might be great, it's just not love. The meaning of that word genuine, anipokritas, Jimmy and I were were trading some Greek words today, so I'm gonna throw that at you, anipokritas, it's not hypocritical. An, not, Hypocritas, On not not hypocritical? Not hypocritical, not an act, you can't fake it. And unlike kindness, love requires that we have some kind of skin in the game. Love requires, I say, a genuine encounter. Paul says, as well, a genuine encounter with the other. And in order to have a genuine encounter, you have to get close. You have to get close to the person. And it's a little bit awkward, right? It's a little bit awkward. You have to actually get close. Getting close is risky. It's risky because when you get close to someone, now they're also close to you. And when they're close to you, they see you. They see you, they see your beauty, They see your baggage. And when they're that close to you, you can get hurt. So it's inherently risky. It's a relational risk to get truly close to someone, to get close enough to have a real encounter. And when we are young, we learn to avoid these kinds of relational risks. We learn it very young because our brains are wired for survival. They're wired for survival. And so in order for us to survive as babies and young children, we have to be safe. We have to be safe above all else. Sweet little Frené and Francis, like they're completely dependent on their mom, like that's how it is, right? When we are little, like regardless of who it is that takes care of us, somebody better. That's just how it is. And so our brains are wired for survival. So they want to, what we're rewarded for are these choices that ensure our safety, that ensure our survival, that ensure that the people who are taking care of us and keeping us alive are gonna keep coming back. It's a primal need. So we learn very, very early how to avoid relational risk. But then we grow up. And as adults, we can decide, as developing people, we can decide for ourselves, whether we will go through life pursuing safety over love. Whether we will keep our distance from people in order to minimize those risks, the risks that come with authentic relationship. And we can do this while still being really kind. We can be very kind and have our walls firmly in place. And since kindness is just about the most that our society expects from us, we can pretty well coast through life without a lot of obvious consequences. Like it's pretty unlikely that someone is gonna sit you down and be like, person to person, friend to friend, you're really nice, you're very kind, but have you been in deep encounters with the other lately? I mean, you're not even feeding your enemies. I'm really concerned. <laughs> like this, this doesn't happen. And no one's going to do that because this kind of love is not normal. It's just not normal. Love as described by Paul in this passage is unnatural to us. We live in a society. We have been shaped by cultural norms where power comes from who you know it's all about who you know and paul says associate with the lowly and i think sometimes we say I'll, I'll do that as soon as i get high enough then i'm really and i'm really up there then i can just then i have a lot of then i can do more for the lowly because i'll be way up there and i'll have more We don't hear that from paul it just says associate with the lowly We are accustomed to and habituated to a system of justice that is based on punishment and retribution. It seems normal to us. And Paul says, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. In our decisions about how we spend our time and our money, We are often counseled to be cautious and to be self-protective. And Paul says, go all in. Just go all in. Be fervent, like on fire. You can't protect yourself if you're on fire. (laughs) Be fervent. Be ardent. Be passionate. Be unreserved. This is what love looks like, Paul says. And it's one thing to to like hear these words and track along with the passage and be like, oh, yeah, I think that is what that means. Okay, let me tuck that away. But how do we actually become the kind of people who are this way, who live this way with each other? How do we untangle ourselves from the apathy and the arrogance and the risk aversion that is so normalized? Well, I think that first we have to decide that we want to try. You're not gonna do this if you haven't decided that you at least wanna try, right? And not just individually, not just individually in our little pockets of our lives, but to make that choice collectively as a way of being collectively together. We have to risk something real to come close enough to each other that our lives begin to intertwine so that what happens to you matters to me and that what happens over there matters to us. And why would we do that? Why would we do that? Apart from the fact that the Apostle Paul seems to think it's a good idea. But why? Why would we do that? It comes back to the opening line from last week, the first verse of chapter 12. Therefore, in light of God's mercy. Jesus is the embodiment of God's mercy. Jesus is mercy in human form. And Jesus shows us what that risky love looks like. In the incarnation, which is the word for Jesus becoming human, God taking on flesh. In the incarnation, Jesus comes close. Jesus comes close to us, close enough to see us and to be seen and close enough to be hurt. And Jesus, this revelation of God's mercy and grace I know enough of you to know that we have seen this Jesus. We have experienced this transformational grace. We have felt the love of God. The abundant, limitless, transformational, extravagant love of God. And through Jesus, we have unmediated access to this love. To the love of God who made us and delights in us. This is our why. We love because he first loved us. Our community might benefit somewhat from a church that is kind. It couldn't hurt, but our church, our community rather desperately needs more than that. We need more than that. We need to love and to be loved. We need to show up in practical, tangible ways for each other, to get close enough to each other that we don't just see each other's joys and sorrows. We are moved by them. We are caught up together in a shared life. Having been shown mercy and love, we are willing to risk being merciful and loving ourselves. And this is challenging because we might have to do things that we've never done or we might have to do things that we have done and we got hurt and we have to try to do them again and that is not easy there's one more reason that i think we need to pursue this kind of risky love i truly believe that this is how we are to live not just as a preferred option among many options. I think this is how we live, as in how we don't die. By God's grace and the Holy Spirit, there will always be a body of Christ in the world. But God doesn't need our church buildings or our denominations or our committees to bring God's kingdom. It's up to us if we want to join in the risky but beautiful life-giving work of the Spirit that we are being called to move into. May we choose to follow this call, trusting God to lead us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you faithfully call generation after generation, that these words that were spoken and written many, many years ago have power to speak into our lives today. we thank you for the signs of new life, for baptisms, for a weekly time to gather around your table. We thank you that your spirit is on the move. And I pray for us that we would want to catch on to what the spirit is doing and that we would lay aside anything that hinders us and run with perseverance toward the good things that you are doing in jesus name i pray amen